Thank you for tuning in to Conroe United Pentecostal Church today. We pray that this podcast is a blessing to you. If there is ever anything we can do for you, please email admin at conroeupc.org. 1 Kings chapter 15, verse number 11. And Asa did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, as did David his father. He took away the sodomites out of the land, and he removed all the idols that his fathers had made. And also, Micah, his mother, even her, he removed from being queen because she had made an idol in a grove. And Asa destroyed her idol and burned it by the brook Kidron. But the high places were not removed. Nevertheless, Asa's heart was perfect. Asa's heart was perfect with the Lord all of his days. And he brought in the things which his father had dedicated. And the things that he himself had dedicated. He brought these things into the house of the Lord. Silver, gold, and vessels. Amen. I just want to talk this morning about old ideas in a new day. Old ideas in a new and modern day. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Asa. Asa was the third king of the kingdom of Judah. As you know, Saul became king of Israel. And then... At the failure of his leadership, the Lord anointed David to be king of Israel. At this point, there was one Israel. There was one Judah. It was one, it was one people. And David, when he passed, Solomon became the king of Israel. At the passing of Solomon, there was the development of what became known as the divided kingdom. Because Solomon had... Two sons who strove and fought for leadership in the kingdom. And so the kingdom became divided. It was split. Then it became known as Judah and Israel. Asa Asa became the third king of that part of of the kingdom. Following Rehoboam, his, his grandfather. And then following his father, Abijam. He became the third king in that part of the divided kingdom. He was the great-grandson of Solomon. He was the great-great-grandson of David. And we understand historically that he reigned as king over this group of people for some 41 years. That kingdom, it was alive chronologically between 1913 and 910 B.C. to about 873 B.C. And he was succeeded by his son, the famous Jehoshaphat. Asa was a, a young man when he came into the kingdom. He was, he was zealous for the things of God. He was zealous that they would maintain the traditional worship and the traditional way that church had been conducted. And he was also zealous that it was important to him that All idolatry be removed from the kingdom. 
And in, along with, along with that idolatry, the accompanying immorality that went with the idolatry, it became important to him. It was so important to him that, that he was even bold enough to remove his mother as queen because she had become an idol worshiper. He was bold enough one day to walk in and say, Mama, you're out of here. Take off your crown, get off the throne, pack up your suitcase, and move to the guest house. You're no longer queen. That is quite a man. You go and tell your mama it's time to move out of the big house and and live in the little house. You tell your mama she can't have the master bedroom anymore. She's going to the third or fourth bedroom down the hall that's got a bathroom that's not connected to her room. You just try that. It takes a... It takes quite a man to be able to do that. But Asa, Asa was, um, he was a man who was, he was so aggressive and so uh, zealous in maintaining uh, the traditions of what he knew was right. That he was bold enough to make that kind of a stand. It was a changing day then as we live in a changing day now. This day we live in is so rapidly changing. I, this was marked by a friend of mine who made a comment just this morning I saw. Where Pastor Richard Davis, I've known him for many, many years. He made a comment that um, he was out in the yard working in his yard this week. And his wife um, called him to take a phone call. And when he, he got that, he, he made the comment. He says, I can't remember when the last time I had to leave my yard and go in the house to take a phone call because I've always got a cell phone with me and, 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 the, and the society has so changed with the mobility of devices that he said, Do you, can you remember the last time you were called inside the house to take a call? Because most of us can just take the house, wherever, take the call wherever we are. You see, technology, it seems that it's, uh, it's moving faster and faster and it is a... It is a tremendous thing, but also it is a, a tremendous challenge. Has anybody ever had to have your computer worked on? And uh, while, while you make the call to get the help, the person that's helping you on the other end of the phone just take over your computer and tell you to keep your hands off of your own computer and you watch the screen start move and your, and your cursor start moving. And, and you see things start flashing on your screen that the other guy who might be a hundred miles away is doing things on your computer while you're watching it happen. This day of technology is, is an incredible, is an incredible thing. And we, we live in a, a very new day spiritually and, and emotionally. But, but in this day that's new. And in a day that is so challenged and we're, uh, everything that we know is, is being shifted and changed with, uh, with this technology and, and every core belief that we can have is having to be adjusted, adjusted because technology is changing, is changing everything. We, we even in this new day, we must remember that in a new day, there's some old things that still work. And there's some old things that will never change. And there's some old things in this day that we've got to hang on to. And on this sleepy Sunday morning, I've come to talk about some old ideas in a new day. Asa 
We read the base of this third king of, of Judah. And then, of course, the fifth king following his great-grandfather, David. He, when he cleaned the church and when he purged the church and he, he forced his idolatrous mother away from her position of power. He began to establish some things in his faith. And he, the scripture says that, that he brought into the temple at that point some things that his father had dedicated. And then some things that he himself had dedicated. This young man was smart enough to know. That he had, there were some things from generations past uh, that had to be in the house of God. He knew there were some dedications and consecrations that his father had made. His grandfather had made. That were not just for that moment in time. And they were not just generational. But they transcended generations. And, and they had to move and be passed uh, from generation to generation. So when he moved the idolatry and the idol worship and the garbage out of the house of God. He brought two things in. And the first thing he brought in was the old things from the past that his father had consecrated. His old daddy had made some consecrations and dedications to God. His old daddy had some convictions and commitments to God that he'd made. And Asa was smart enough to realize uh, in this new kingdom, we've got to have some old things. And, and this new way of life and this new thing that we're establishing, I've got to have the things my daddy established in his life. And he brought in those things that his daddy had conquered, uh, had, had consecrated to God. Uh, these things that his dad had felt convicted about. Uh, these things his dad had felt led to consecrate or set aside and refrain from and dedicate to the house of God. Uh, he brought the old, but not only did he bring the old, uh, he also brought some new things uh, because he himself had made some consecrations and some dedications to God. Uh, and I think every generation is faced with the fact that they must establish their own walk with God. It's said uh, in the book of Acts that we must save ourselves from an untoward generation. And every generation is faced uh, with establishing its own set of convictions and its own set of path that it's going to walk. Uh, but it cannot establish those things at the expense uh, of not bringing into the house of God and to their walk with God the things that their fathers established and the things that their fathers had consecrated to God. Uh, in this new day, we don't toss out the old and just bring in all the new. But rather, we find a way to, to, to bring the old forward with us. And we find that moment in time when we're faced with the moment that we've got to make a decision about the things of God. And we have to establish for ourselves where we're going to go and what we're going to do and how we're going to live and how we're going to conduct ourselves. And we have to have, uh, we have to have our own walk with God. I just marvel over and over again when I watch a new generation come on. And it seems like every generation that comes, the old folks, they begin to worry about them. And I hear it because I'm kind of getting over there, kind of where some of the older folks are. And I start worried about some of these young folk. And I start worrying about some of these things. And I watch them. But then I watch the trials of life come. And I watch the pressures of life. And I watch the season of life that comes to a young family or comes to a young man or a young woman when they 
they come face to face with God and face to face with life. And I watch the young person begin to pray and seek the Lord. And when I see that trial of life and that pressure of life come to them, I start to see things shift in that young life. But I start to see things be established because for a long time, a young person might, might just do some things because that's the way they'd been taught. And that's the way that mama and daddy did it. And that's the way the old church did it. But there comes a point where it's not just going to be what they did then and, and what was brought forward from the church. But also, it's got to become where that young man or that young lady come face to face with God themselves and settle some issues for themselves. Because the old folk can't live for God for the young folk. And the old folk, we can't force the young generation to do what's right. You try to force young people to do what's right and they're going to show you what they're able to do. But there comes that moment when every generation has got to get along with God. Has got to establish some conviction and some lifestyle issues all for themselves. And if you're here today or you hear this via our broadcast, I simply challenge you in this this morning to settle some issues in your heart. Get some conviction in your spirit and bring forth some things bring some things forward that we were taught and that was established in your parents' generation and your grandparents' generation. But there's some things coming at this new generation that's got to be settled. And you've got to make up your mind. I'm not going some places. I'm not doing some things. I'm not involving myself in some things. I'm protecting my family. I'm protecting my children. I'm protecting my walk with God from some things. Every generation must establish these things. And I see where Asa, this young man, he forced out some bad stuff out of the house of God. And he had brought forth uh, the things his father had established. And then he also brought into the house of God those things which he had established. It behooves us to be careful and to not try to live yesterday. We can't go back to the 70s. We can't go back to the 60s. We can't go back to the 80s. We can't go back even to the, to the 2000, the first 10 years of 2000. But we live in a day that's rapidly moving. For example, our elder brother Patrick turned 80 years old a few days ago. He had a big 80-year-old birthday party. And, and big big hoorah we, we put on for him. And all of his kids and his stepkids and his, and his outlaw kids and his in-law, all of us uh, got involved with throwing a big party for brother Patrick. And, and out of that, uh, his children bought brother Patrick at 80 years of age an iPad Air. And here's a guy. He's so old, he had to ride a horse to go to the store when he was a kid. And now here he is, uh, he's floating around in the cloud, uh, moving with monster glass and moving icons and listening to, uh, listen to digital files. And, and he's on Facebook talking around the world because his age transcends those generations. And when you realize that an 80-year-old can play with an iPad, you've got a generation that's being forced to move forward. And as a church, we have to establish who and what we are. And as individuals, we've got to establish who and what we are. But we cannot stick our heads in the dirt and try to stay where we were yesterday. We've got to live an old-fashioned life and a new day. 
We've got to live an old-fashioned life in a new day. And we've still got to come out of the world. And we've still got to be separate. But we've still got to live a life that's holy and separate and pleasing unto God. But at the same time, we, we do it in a day that is so antagonistic towards the things of God. We cannot go back to the future. We cannot throw away old things. And while society in the day that we live in constantly seems to evolve, the church is not something that's stagnant, that's going to exist as it did 10, 15, 20, or 40 years ago. But rather, the church has got to be an evolving body. The church has got to be a body that embraces all sorts of people. Let me tell you, we've got to be able to embrace people in the ways that we never had before. In the South, we used to maybe say, you could have a white church and a black church, but you can't do that anymore because, you know, because we've got to be careful with, 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 with this racial issues that we deal with. And we've got to step and understand the fact that we have to accept every, every, every race has to accept another race. And there was a time in the church and there was a time in the society that you didn't see mixed marriages. But now it is so common that we have to realize there's nothing sinful with the issue. We've got to push aside our prejudice and push aside maybe some preconceived ideas from a past generation. And we've got to establish the fact that every person is a soul and God loves every person. Red or yellow, black or white, the color don't matter. The food doesn't matter. Where they live doesn't matter. But what matters is we establish that we're going to love them whatever color they are. And we're going to love them for wherever they're at. And we love them whatever they speak. Amen. 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 Examples of some things I want to talk about here for just a few moments of some things that is very, very important. It seems to me that music's always been a part of the kingdom. It seems, and I know that, that way back in Bible times, they'd have, they'd have this harp and, and they'd have the tambourine and the drum and they'd have all, all of these different, different type of instruments. But it seems as if every, every generation, they, they have a little, a little, add a little bit, uh, to the music and they change it a little bit and in this generation where technology changes everything I can remember coming up in a church or, or, or visiting my grandmother's church up in St. Augustine, Texas and they'd say it's time for the choir to sing well it was a small church set about four foot off the ground the wind would blow under the building and what nothing but a bunch of old ladies and all of them were preachers in that church they had a piano that faced the congregation uh, no I mean it faced the, the back wall but there was a big mirror on the piano a big big bathroom sized mirror on the piano and the piano player watched everybody in the congregation all the few of them that they were and when it come time when it come time for song service for the choir to sing everybody in the house it didn't matter if you if you had your baby if you if you snuck your puppy in your purse that morning says you, your puppy was in the choir everybody got up on the stage and they sang and it was it was it was it was it was it was anointed it was good but oh it was it was god awful i, I can remember some of those times but the Holy Ghost would begin to move and I can remember a time when that uh, when that uh, they would have those old, old rhythm or string guitars but I can remember in the church when electric guitar was a sin in the church but then again it started sounding pretty good so so electric guitars were no longer sin and then I I can remember I can remember when drums in the church were bad but 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 with time moved forward and they were no longer bad I I, I can remember the first 
first time I saw an electric piano in the church. Oh my Lord, there was compromise in the house. They could have the electric organ with the tubes, but the electric piano was a, was a sin. And you have to understand, most of the churches had a B3 Hammond organ in the church. You know, and the B3, that was the one to have. And every preacher wanted his organist and wanted the B3. But the B3 organ, you know, the B on the B3 stood for the bar. And that was the organ they had down in the bar. But the preacher said, it sounds so good. Uh, Got to bring that in, into the church. And so we have the B3. Uh, we had the B3 organs. And, and that one that we have there, it's about 50, 60 years old. But, but that's, that was a, well, what you known as a, as a C3. Because it's a C. It was for church. Uh, but, but, but the B, the B, uh, we, had to, we had to make a little adjust. Same machine. Just got a different name on it. Because uh, things were moving and, and things were changing. And then we started having synthesized music. And then we said, Somebody, I can remember the first time I heard somebody bring a little cassette, uh, a little cassette tape to the church, and they sang to a cassette tape. Uh, oh, the brothers and the sisters, they, they were flabbergasted. Uh, I really didn't like it because, you know, I grew up, we'd sing the same verse a uh, hundred times. The tape only let you sing it twice. Uh, but in all reality, that tape was compromised in the church. Uh, but in all reality, that was something that was transitioned in our culture that was gone. What was important was the fact that there was people praying over that song before they sang it. And there was people that had anointing in their life. And whether they sang an old song out of the book, an old homemade song that somebody made up on the way to church, what was important was that there was anointing that song. And hey, we in. We have to have to anointing. No, who wrote the song? Okay, we've got to make sure that we establish the fact that the anointing is what's important in the house of God. You see, I, I just simply say old songs need anointing. New songs need anointing. Every song needs anointing. And that's what's important. It doesn't matter if it's fast or slow. What it's got to happen is the song's got to be anointed. And for the song to be anointed, that means the singer's got to be anointed. And for the singer to be anointed, that means the singer's got to be clean and pure. And that means the singer's got to be praying. The singer's got to be seeking the Lord. The singer's got to have a walk with God. And no matter what the talent level, what has to be is somebody must spend time with the master. Whether they're 80 years old or whether they're 18 years old, there's got to be that walk with God. I'm talking about an old thing that needs to be in the new church. An old thing that needs to be in the new house. Amen. Old ideas in a new day. There, there needs to be a prayer meeting take place at every house. There needs to be a prayer meeting take place with every person. There, 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 I know people that want to pray for others, but I never see them pray, pray themselves. I got wind of somebody here lately that got a preaching license, and I knew they didn't have no sense having a preaching license. I've evaluated their lives for a long time, and now they can preach, but they still got the same bad attitude. They got the, still got the same carnal attitude. And the same carnal way of life. But praise God, they're a preacher now. They're a minister now. Let me simply say this. If you're going to teach that Sunday school class, why don't you get some anointing in your life? If you're going to sing, get some anointing in your life. If you're going to vacuum the floor, get up here and pray. But get some anointing in your life when you do that thing. Anointing is, is, is a mandate. Mama can't call you to ministry. Only God can put you there. But this, this, uh, this is an old idea of seeking the Lord and praying. 
praying and fasting and walking in the Holy Ghost. And that's not limited to 80-year-olds or 18-year-olds. It's got to be every person. It's got to be every generation. It's got to be something that's moved from generation to generation. And I have the responsibility to pass it on to my son and make sure my grandboys know that they've got to seek the Lord and they've got to pray and they've got to fast. A few minutes, a few, a little while ago, I came into the sanctuary. Little Kenley was up here all by himself in his carrier. His mama just abandoned him. His daddy left him here. He was left here without food. Nobody looked after him. He was screaming, the only one in this sanctuary. I came up and rescued him. I held him for almost an hour this morning. I held him so long, my arms were kind of cramped up a little bit because I kind of like to hold him for five minutes and, and pass him on. But I got my prayer time in with Kenley this morning and I little walked back and forth and made circles in the office today and Kenley was hearing his poppy's voice pray and Kenley was hearing his poppy pray over Kenley and Kenley was hearing poppy pray for his sister and Kenley was hearing poppy pray for his mom and his daddy and his big brother because I have this responsibility to help pass on to another generation the fact that they got to hang on to prayer and hang on to seeking of the Lord and hang on to the things of God and in a new generation when they're old they've got to hang on to that stuff hallelujah hallelujah you see I, I believe that every generation every person has got to learn to have their own prayer meeting you've got to learn how to pray for yourself it can't be the, me- the mechanized prayer of a group but there comes a point that you've got to get along with God you've got to bury your face in the carpet you've got to say God this is just me and you and I'm coming to bombard heaven right now and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to hold off hell in my life and I know the only answer is get close to you so hell's on my trail but I'm heading your way master and there's going to be a breakthrough in my life. I'm going to get some things established. Amen. Amen. I tell you, there's another thing I want to talk about is faithfulness. Faithfulness is an old idea. Commitment and faithfulness is a, I always marvel. I always marvel at folks who, who want, who want to be up front, uh, but, but they never show up at a prayer meeting. And I marvel at folks who, who have all the answers, but, but I don't see the fruit in their life that manifests uh, those answers. Uh, I, oh, Pastor Rush Limbaugh, I don't know if you've ever listened to the ministry of Rush Limbaugh every day at 12 on the radio, but Pastor Rush Limbaugh, one time when the Democratic, uh, a few years, seven or eight years ago, when the Democratic, uh, uh, convention went to New York City, he, he sent one of his, his fellas that worked for him uh, down, down there to where all the, they were meeting on the street. And, and he, he, had on a, he, he had on this t-shirt that says, I love Rush. And his instructions were, you go down and every TV camera you see, you stand in front of the camera. You get in front of people. If they move the camera, you just keep moving with the camera. I know folks like that around the church. They want to get where everybody can see them. They, they, but, but the thing is, is, is they never really get where God alone can see them. I'm telling you folks if we can spend time with God, you won't have to worry about anybody noticing the anointing on your life. Uh, but if we can ignore the cameras and ignore the admiration of men and, and just simply say, I've got to, I've got to be in the presence of God. And that means uh, I show up when there's a prayer meeting. I show up when there's a work day. I show up when there's just a Bible lesson. I show up when I don't feel like it. I show up when I know the preacher don't feel good and it's going to be a dead service. Uh, I show up on a big day I show up on a little day I just show up because there's just a great chance if I show up and God shows up there's going to be something miraculous that takes place and if I can just get myself there (laughs) obedience is an old idea in this new generation 
Nobody has to obey anymore. Nobody seems to think that obedience is important anymore. Had somebody here as a member, many years ago, they swapped churches. And then they, they, they wanted me to know, they, they came by and wanted me to know that at their new church, they were being fed so much better than they were ever fed here, here at, at Conroe. And, and I just had to chuckle, laugh, because I couldn't remember lots of services that, 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 that they weren't here. That when people were praying through and people were being baptized and, and there was good teaching going on and good preachers coming through. And the, the problem is, is, is the reason they wasn't getting fed was they wasn't showing up at supper time. And you just try not showing up at supper time. If mama cooks supper and she calls you to come down and you want to say, I'm going to stay down in the corner and I'm going to play with my buddies till dark. And, and mama said, get over here, boy. Well, when you get finally make it after dark and, and all the supper's gone and you have to go to bed hungry because somebody else ate the supper. And that's what happens with spirit living. People can rationalize, oh, I don't need Wednesday night. I don't need Sunday night. I'll, I'll wait and go next week. I can skip that prayer meeting. What happens is there's a good meal laid out and you're being malnourished because you're somewhere else and you're not partaking in what God's got for you. It's no wonder. It's no wonder you show up at the new place. Show up a couple times a week. You feel so fed. It's because you hadn't been eating what's been laid out for you for a long time. And folks, I'm going to tell you, we've got to live for God and obey God and be faithful to God and be faithful and consistent to the things of God and the word of God you see see, the problem is uh, some folks never obey and some folks we live in a day when no but we just we just make our own minds up we just do it our own way and we rationalize we rationalize we think we can just do it this way it's not just us it's the society that we live in folks come to school come to church when they're they're going to be singing or teaching folks come when they got something to do I, I, back when I was in TBC, Texas Bible College, I used to really get bent out of shape because one time I got, to, I got called up in front of the whole chapel and they fussed at me because I didn't go to where I was supposed to go to church. They asked, everybody wasn't at your RIP church, I want you to stand up right now. Well, I stood up and because I didn't go there. I was actually my senior year of, of Bible school, I, I preached out most weekends, so I never hardly ever went to where I was supposed to go because I was, I was off preaching. And they proceeded to tell us how wrong we were for not going where we were supposed to go. And I happened to watch some of those people that were fussing at me who never went to church unless they were preaching. Now, I just say that as an example. I'm not fussing at any of you. But I'm saying this is not something that just happens here. We tend to think if I have my song and dance, I'm going to show up and I want everybody to respond. But the fact of the matter is, is we have a responsibility to be in the presence of God regardless of who sings and who dances. Amen. Amen. You see, submission is another old, old, old idea. Submission is an idea uh, that, that is so, it's so antiquated, but you can't have a church without it. I mean, obedience is one thing, but submission is another. I can force somebody to do something, but when they get a spirit of submission on them and they say, you know what, it doesn't matter uh, w- what is being said. I'm doing this because I'm finding this in my heart to do this. And the spirit of submission comes on someone. When, when people learn to operate with a spirit of submission and not, and, not, and not out of fear of if they disobey, things are going to be bad. You know what? We can, you can live on the edge as long as you want. Uh, any of us can live on the edge as long as you want. But when you make up your mind, uh, I'm not just going to live on this edge to straddle this fence. Uh, if I fall off that fence, if I fall in the area I'm supposed to be, then praise God. But what if I fall on the wrong side of that fence? 
I did that one time with a crazy donkey. I fell off on the wrong side of the fence. That donkey chased me all over that field. And when I finally hit the fence and slid under it and barbed wire scratched me and I escaped that donkey, I just thought that was a crazy donkey. The donkey hated me because I lived across the street from it. It knew it was, it was me that kept shooting it with that pellet gun and making it squawk out in the middle of the field. And it got its chance to kill me. And it was coming to kill me. And I got over there too close to him. Let me tell you, folks, uh, you got to stay where you're supposed to be. And you can't, you can't get too close to the world. You can't get too close to the devil and you do that by staying submitted to the things of God see some folks um, some folks will never be pastored some folks might come to church but some folks will never be pastored now it's not you I know okay it's, it's your brother-in-law and, and I love it I love it when I hear people use the pronouns oh that's the pastor of the church I mean that's great they recognize the authority but when they say oh that's my pastor Hey, they're taking some ownership there. That's mine. You know, and when people begin to do that, you see a spiritual, though that's just a verbal word they use, you see something different happen in their life. And you don't have to, I mean, the people that take a claim, the pastor, they, they, they don't really need a pastor at that point because they've already gotten submitted to the Spirit of God and they're living for God now between them and God. And it's not a matter of a pastor trying to control them. It's that spirit of submission that we get upon us when we say, okay, God, whatever it takes. Amen. I just, I just know submission's a funny thing. I, we, had, we had somebody leave the church one time, and I asked the, I asked the secretary to, who was working in, just t- run the tithe records for me. And I, I, want, I just want to take a look at this. And, and I'm, I'm, I did some figuring, and I really wanted to pray for the family because the records showed that they lived on $6.60 a week for several years because over the whole time they'd been there, they had, you know, they, they, they had, they had tithe uh, and offering uh, six, uh, it, I think it was like $6.60 average a week. They lived on $66 a week. I've known folks who, who, who live on $25 a month because you may or may not see a $25 tithe check. And it's not a matter of the money coming in. It's a matter of do I submit myself to the kingdom and the process of God? And that's what it is. It's not about being in control and trying to force people to do things. But you see, tithing and submission and faithfulness, they all work the same way. And they're old ideas that have got to be in a new church. And they've got to be in a new day. And if they're not there, it's not a matter the church is going to suffer. Paul said it this way. I'm not asking for this offering for my account, but I'm asking it for your account. And when I look at that and realize it's not God's bank that suffers when people don't do right. It's our personal banks that suffer when we don't do right. Somebody said, I can't afford to pay tithes until I quit paying tithes. And then I discovered I couldn't afford not to pay tithes. Because that divine protection was off their life. It's an old idea. And I'm not here to beat the drum to try to, do, to get you to do more. I'm simply saying this is a concept of submission in our lives. It's got to be there. Preacher, pastor, if you keep acting like this, I'm swapping churches. You know, it's, it's, go ahead. You know, I think, that, that I think it's important. I think it's important that we have, we have an atmosphere that we worship where there's apostolic authority in the church. Amen. There's got to be apostolic authority. I mean, I'm not talking abusive authority. I'm not talking mean authority. I'm not talking about slave driving authority. But there's got to be some apostolic authority in the church. And there's got to be a holy respect for the things of God. There's got to be a holy respect for the, for the workings of God. And we have to have those things. And, 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 um, and, and sometimes in this generation we live in, we just have people think, well, I'll just be my own pastor. No, everybody has got to have an authority in their life. Everybody. I, I'm a pastor, but I have to have authority in my life. 
Every one of us must have authority in our life. The President of the United States has authority in his life. Every one of us has authority in our lives. And we must, we must listen to them. You see, and I, I just, I just uh, it's important to me that, that we, have, we have authority in our life. It's not just, a, you know, I do some work along the way for funeral home. And, and, and I, I go out and I do funerals a lot of time. And I, I don't know anybody. I walk up and I just conduct a funeral. And it's difficult because I don't know anybody. And I don't know any names. And the only thing I know is what I read off the obituary. And I'm, I'm not a pastor. I'm not pastor to those folks. And, and, and they, I have no authority in their lives. I'm just a renter reverend right then. I'm just, I'm just a renter preacher. Because I come in and, and, and I just say some nice things. And, and I quote the 23rd Psalm. And we pray a nice prayer. And we, we say farewell to the departed. And, and I'm gone. I'm just a renter preacher. But we need more than that kind of authority in our lives. We need authority in our pulpit. We need authority in our altars. We need authority in our pews. We need the men and women in the church to stand up and be elders in the church. And be leaders in the church. And be able to pray the prayer of faith in the church. These are old ideas that need to be in a new day. Spiritual authority is, is, not, is not anything that, that is that is bad. You know, I've had people say, Pastor, I, ain't, I can't pay my tithes. I'm not going to pay my tithes because, uh, well, I, I knew this one family that was kind of wealthy, and they said this about the pastor they had. They said this. He says, that preacher can't afford our tithes. I mean, he can't handle all our tithes. That's a bad problem to have. You see, you just, I want you to understand something about submission and authority and, and all of these things. When, when, when we gift God, you know, in the Old Testament, they would line up the cows every year and they'd run them to the chute. And kind of like at Roundup time, they're going to load them up and take them down to take the cows and, and they'd run them through the chute. And, and what, what would happen is, is, is they would take the first cow that came through and the 11th cow that came through and the tw- every, every 10th cow, every 10th cow that came through, that was what would be separated. It was called the tithe. And it didn't matter if it was an old sick cow that came through or it was the prize bull. It could be a cow that was worth $100 or a cow that was worth $100,000. The bottom line was if it was the 10th cow that went through the chute that was exactly that that was exactly uh, what God intended for the tithe to be and whether it's a widow woman that can, that, that can only do her might uh, or the person that's blessed uh, that does, does much more by our standard when God looks at it uh, that is simply the tithe and when you and I understand that we do these things and we pray and we seek the Lord and all these things we do it's because we're doing it God's way and we're doing it the way he expects us to do these things and his spiritual authority is so, so very important. I can't tell you the times I, I took my teenage kids to a spiritual authority and say, Brother McLean, you need to cast the devil out of these kids and you need to pray sanity in my mind. I don't even know if we ever got the devil out of Trent. We'll find out one of these days. But we live in a day when no needs to mean no. And sin needs to be understood that sin is sin. And right is right when nobody's doing right. And wrong is wrong when everybody's doing wrong. And these are ideas that are old, but they've got to be in a new church. They've got to be in a new day. Heaven and hell. Heaven and hell is an old doctrine. But it's real. There is a heaven. And there is a hell. And we live in a day when the pulpit, we just want to, we just want to preach and pronounce and declare the blessings of God. But in all reality, there is the judgment of God as well. 
And if we don't do what's right and what God's expected, there will come a day that we will stand before him and he will judge us. And then we will find out if we spend eternity in heaven or if we spend it in hell. And hell is a real life place. And it's a doctrine that is irrefutable in the scripture. And heaven is that place of reward. But they are both and we cannot toss them out. And a new day that wants to sugarcoat doctrine and sugarcoat gospel and sugarcoat and make things easier. You and I have got to remember and know that there is an eternity that's coming our way. And, and, and there is a place called heaven. There is a place called hell. And there is reward and there is judgment that comes from God. And you and I must never forget that. And the old timers used to teach it. They'd preach it so hot they'd scare us to death. We'd run to the altar screaming. And now in this day that we live in, things are so sugar-coated. We can't scare people anymore into an altar. And so we've got to, we've got to challenge them more on an intellectual level. But please understand, you may be the intellectual of intellectuals, but understand there's a heaven and there's a hell and there's an eternity and there's a rapture. And please understand, it may defy your intelligence, it may defy your education, but you've got to understand the Word of God declares it. And it's got to be established, not just in old times, but that's got to be a real doctrine in the day that we live in. Hallelujah. Holiness is something that's got to be today. Oh, that was just, that was just for then. no. No, 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 no. The Bible simply says, without holiness, no man shall see God. Well, pastor, I need you to line out all the standards. No, 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 no. If I, can, if I can get you to grasp the spirit of holiness, you'll never have to hear me talk about a particular standard because you grab the spirit of holiness, it will be inside of you and your life will be lived in such a way that's pleasing unto God and you won't have to worry about clothesline preachers. You won't have to worry about legalistic preachers, but rather, but rather, I, you know, I was just, we had somebody here one time that fasted so much they wanted to get so close to God that I had to say, hey, quit fasting. I I expect you to go home and eat today, eat tonight, because they, 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 were, they were taking their things too far. And we need people with, that are that zealous that they'll take spiritual things too far and once they have to pull back. It's a whole lot easier to hold somebody back that's going too far than to try to drag somebody forward that to make their mind up they're not going to do things that's right. But when they get this holiness and this spirit of holiness inside of them and it's in their life, uh, you don't have to worry about that because they're going to be with you and they're going to be right there where you need them to be. Holiness, modesty, and moderation in all things. That's absolutely a mandate in our lives. Folks, don't ever forget we must be modest. And not just in our lifestyle, but every area of our life, we've got to be modest. We need to be modest in our spirit. We don't need to be arrogant. We don't need to be prideful. We don't need to be, we don't need to be that way. There's got to be a modesty in our spirit. Ever had somebody, everybody had, ever had somebody pay you a compliment and it really appealed to your flesh? And so you put on the false humble act. You know the falsely humble act. Most of us have done it at some point. We're falsely humble sometimes. And, and false humility is really fierce pride. False humility is really fierce pride. And so when I tell you we've got to be modest on the inside and modest on the outside. And our moderation has got to be in everything we do. We can have hobbies that get immoderate. I mean, I mean, I mean, literally we can do things that are nothing's wrong with them, but we can just do too much of it. Not a thing wrong with going down to Walmart and enjoying yourself. Look at every gadget that Sam Walton brings in and just tries to hawk and sell you. That's useless and worthless. You won't use it next week. That's fine if you want to buy every one of them. But what happens is if you're immoderate in that thing, you've got more gadgets in your house and you've got people. And you can't even live your life because you've been so immoderate. 
You've bought everything in sight. Moderation in every area of our life. That's an old concept, but it's got to be in this world we live in. Another one I want to talk about is morality. Morality and clean living. We live in a day, used to to be immoral. You had to sneak off and be immoral. You don't have to anymore. It's so easy now to do things at your own house. It's so easy now to be immoral in, in, so, in, so, in so many ways. But, but you and I must have this old concept in our life that is talked about that we possess our vessels with sanctification and honor. There's never been more lust than there is now. There's never been a greater display of flesh than there is now in the society. Most, most, uh, uh, you can go to the mall today and you'll, most, a man will see more flesh at a mall than he'll see in his own house with his own family. And, and we have to deal with our spirits and deal with our minds and, 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 and chasing ourselves. And as men, we've got to make sure that we don't emanate lustful thoughts and, and, and emanate that hard, uh, that hard, prideful, lustful spirit. Uh, because if we do, we will pull that out of somebody who never, ever would have displayed that. And then there'll be some other dear lady or female that will respond to those lustful thoughts that you direct that way. And th- there will be a response that's immoral. And you and I have a responsibility to maintain our sanctification to possess our vessels with sanctification and honor and we must be moral we must be clean we must be morally pure we must be morally morally pure it gets quiet these are old concepts if you don't have them in a new church you don't have a church amen we live in a changing day we live in a changing day that it's so different that that we live in a day when it's all right if altars are not giving birth to babies. It's all right if services are not power packed anymore. It's all right as long as the music was right, and the lights were right, and the crowd was right, and the offering was right. We had a good service. No, if somebody didn't have a breakthrough, you didn't have a good service. And our our manifestation of the goodness of God in our church and the anointing that will break the yokes has got to be manifest in our church. Every once in a while, the devil's got to show up and there's got to be a bad spirit displayed and the devil needs to be cast out of some people. But we live in a day devil's not cast out because we make the environment such that the devil's comfortable sitting right there with the saints. And you can have an immoral spirit just come and sit there and sit there and sit there and fester. And a bitter spirit can come and just stay and stay and destroy everything around it because it's comfortable at the church. Oh, no. The, the immorality, the immoral spirits have got to be uncomfortable. The resentment and the hate in people has got to be uncomfortable. There's got to be a conviction in this house. There's got to be a moving of the Holy Ghost in this house. There's got to be a clear sound from the pulpit in this house. And there's got to be in this new day when we're moving forward into new things, there's got to be the the old things that were established by our fathers and our forefathers of praying and fasting and faithfulness and submission and living for God, those have to be in the church today. 
We live in a day when people are trying to set aside and not pay close attention to the new birth anymore. And they're trying to reach back for some Calvinistic doctrines. And they're wanting to say that grace is enough. And, and they're wanting to say, well, if you ever had an experience with God, that was enough. And once saved is always saved. But I'm here today to say, uh, you might have been filled with the Holy Ghost. Uh, and just because you got the Holy Ghost, uh, don't mean you're going to go to heaven. Because now you got to keep praying. And you got to keep seeking the face of God. And we live in a day that backsliding is not even in the church. Uh, but I'm telling you backsliding it's able to go back it's, it's possible to lose out with God it's possible to lose your salvation we live in a day when people say oh well it's just grace look around preachers don't backslide anymore they just get new liberties churches don't backslide anymore they just they just get new freedoms that's not the way it is we got to have the old things established in a new day and Asa when he reestablished and got the sin out of the house of God. The first thing he did was bring in some things that his father had consecrated to God. And then he brought in some things he'd consecrated himself to God. And got them both there. And the church began to bless and be prospering. He reigned for 41 years and was remembered. He's remembered as a good king. We live in a changing day. We live in a day when, when that old things that were so important. To so many have become so unimportant. The famed Kensington Garden in London, next door to the Kensington Palace, was 26 acres. And it is still to this day a, a, a place that draws tourists to go and look at the beauty. The trees were planted like, like army, and just rows and rows of the trees and the beautiful plants and things. And it's just like one of the crown jewels of, of, of the English people. And they, they, had a, they had a gardener at one time who, who had devoted his life to that garden. He wanted it to be everything to be perfect. And he didn't like the clutter of the leaves that would fall on the ground around those trees. And so he diligently worked. He'd rake those leaves and you'd come by and there wouldn't be a leaf underneath those fir trees. And, and, and he, he, he would, it wouldn't, there would not be a, a leaf at all. And he kept it. But, but then they, they saw that the fir trees began to die. And they got infested with, with beetles. And they all died there. And they brought the specialist in to see what was going on. And, and it, it, the simple diagnosis was this. Uh, somebody was so zealous they kept raking away the leaves. Because those old leaves didn't look good. They looked pretty in the garden. And the garden wasn't as pretty as it could have been because those leaves were there. And they got them out of there. But those leaves were what protected the root system from the beetles and the bugs and the worms. And in his zeal to make everything perfect to the eye, this man did away with some things that were intricate to the longevity of the garden. We must be careful. And our efforts and our desires... To do church right. And our desires to, to be socially acceptable. That we don't rake away the leaves. And some things that's really protecting us. Oh, you don't need those standards no more. Bag them up, boys. Oh, that prayer meeting's not important anymore. That's old. We don't, we don't need that. So bag it up, boys. And before long, you look up and there's a tree 
as infested with beetles and life is being drained out of that tree and it dies because the old things that didn't look so fun and didn't look so beautiful and didn't look so exciting, those were the things that brought divine protection to that tree and to that church. And Asa, verse 5, he brought in the things which his father had dedicated and the things which himself had dedicated into the house of the Lord. You know, right now, here in our church, we've got what I call generational leadership. You've got Brother Trent and I working alongside each other. And this is a very healthy thing when, when you can have generations working side by side. I like to joke around and say the old men are for wisdom. Young men are for war. In other words, old men gets to sit around and young man's got to do all the work. I, that works. That's, that's great. I love that. But the bottom line is this. There's got to be a moving from generation to generation. There's got to be a set of values that move from generation to generation. And the church that I worship in today has got to be the same church that my grandfather's established 75 years ago. Three or four years ago, I found myself visiting a church in Houston. Over in the Humble area, I, I walked into that church for a wedding. I had never been there before. I had heard of the church. I'd heard of the pastors. And I knew at some point I had family that had been members of that church. But that had been, you know, my, my great-grandfather and great-grandmother had been dead more than 40 years, maybe closer to 50 years. And I remember them vaguely. I remember them vaguely. But I walked into that church. I was standing in the foyer before we went in and talking to people. And I looked over there on the wall, and there was a whole wall in that foyer that was dedicated to an old man. And that got my attention because I, I thought maybe they're remembering an old-time pastor or something. But I walked over to that wall and started looking. And it started looking real familiar to me. And that church I'd never been in in my life. On, on the wall there in, in that foyer, there, there was a, I, it was like a shrine. There was pictures, and there was memories, and there was certificates, and there was letters of appreciation. All this was on this wall. And I got to looking at it, and it was all about a guy whose last name was Johnson. And it started ringing a bell deep in my mind. And I looked, and the more I read, that wall was dedicated to my great-grandfather who had built that church, never had the Holy Ghost. My Bobo had the Holy Ghost, but he never had the Holy Ghost. Uh, But he went with her, and he literally built that church and paid for it out of his own pocket. And 50 years later, after 45 years later, after he was dead, that church on the wall still had a shrine, still had a memory and appreciation to that old man. That had been dead 45 years. But they were wanting to remember what had happened to establish that church. Now please, I don't want my picture on anything around here, okay? That's not what I'm I'm after. But there's got to be some core values that have been important here. These last 25 years, 24 years, that must still be important here 25 years from now. And, and, and if, we were, if we're blessed and we go build a multi-million dollar facility somewhere in town, 
And that fancy high dollar facility has got to maintain the same core values that we have here in our ghetto neighborhood and the place where we worship. The same core values. The address don't change it. The size don't change it. Being modern or immodern don't change it. Those things have got to move from generation to generation. And what was wrong 25 years ago is still sin today, folks. God don't change. And you and I must remember from generation to generation, we've got to move what our fathers established and keep it in the house. And then we also got to make our own consecrations and our own dedications. And I promise you, new consecrations will never do away with an old consecration. It'll never do away with an old one. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm about finished. It's 1136. And I've spoken, man, for 50 minutes. I'm, it's been a while. Second Chronicles 714. An old principle for a new day. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. Back in Bible school, some really spiritual person started a prayer club that year, one of those years, called the 714 Club. And every morning in the chapel, somebody would unlock the chapel and at 714, there'd be a prayer meeting until classes would start. I don't know. 745 or something, but they'd be at 714. It was a, a prayer club. It's all based on 2 Chronicles 714. Because the old principle still works. If the people of God will pray and seek the face of God, turn from their wicked ways, we have the confidence of knowing that God is going to hear in the spiritual realm. He's going to work on our behalf. And the old things still work, people. And this day, the old things still work. Pastor, Pastor, I sure like them old songs. The good song's just as good if somebody prayed before they sang it. Pastor, I really like them old Sunday school books we used to read out of. Well, it's the same lessons without the book. It's just don't have the book anymore. But it was better when we had the book. No. What is better is the fact that there's going to be some interaction. And there's going to be anointing on the man that teaches and anointing on the listener who receives it. And that's what makes it good. Pastor, we used to, we used to do this. Well, that was good for its time, but it really is not relevant anymore. You know, spoons and tambourines not going to make it in the day we live in. But folks, we live in a day that's moving so fast. And while we try to hang on to a society that's careening out of control, we've got to also hang on with the other hand. We've got to hang on to hero Israel. The Lord our God is one Lord. We've got to hang on to the fact there's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism, there's one God who is above all and through all and in you all. We've got to hang on to the fact that we should repent of our sins and be filled with the Holy Ghost and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of our sins. We've got to hang on to those old things. That's so old-fashioned, preacher. I promise you, 
You can find a real modern church that don't have old-fashioned things. And there's something going to be lost. There's got to be the old things in a new day. Right now, Jesus.